You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. MyMac Podcast 663. Technical Issues. You're listening to the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the MyMac.com podcast. This is number 663. Gaz is not here. However, uh, this is not going to be a solo show. Well, not exactly going to be a solo show. If you follow me on Twitter, and of course, that is MacParrot, you'll know that for this episode and the next episode, we have a special guest, uh, Stephen Tobolowski. uh, the the interview that I did with him has already been recorded, and just like seven years ago, <laughs> it was July of 2010, when Gaz and I interviewed uh, Stephen the first time. The it the the interview just went so long because we were having such a great time talking that there is no way that I could put all of it into one podcast. So I'm going to split that up between uh, this week and next week, which means that July is going to be an action-packed month as far as this podcast goes. Now, we have this week and next week, we have the interview with Stephen Tobolowski, and then uh, the middle of the month, we have um, the Mac Stock. Wow, I'm so, so psyched over everything that's going on this month. We have the Mac Stock Conference and Expo. In Woodstock, Illinois, we'll, we'll, I'll talk more about that uh, in the third section of the show. Um, so for at least the next four weeks, five weeks, there's going to be all kinds of great original content here at MyMac.com. And a lot of it is going to be spontaneous and really no idea what direction that is going to go in. Um, now, of course, I wasn't here uh, last week. and. Gaz did the podcast with Carl and, you know, thanks Carl Madden from the Mac and Force show and all of the other podcasts that he did, he does for, uh, stepping in and, uh, doing the show with Gaz. I listened to it on, on the way back when I could, and you'll, you'll hear more about that in a little bit, uh, on the way back from Florida. Um, but for the most part, the only thing that we heard in the car on the way back from Florida, actually, let me go back a little bit. The reason why I wasn't here last week uh, is because I was in Florida. Now, for 661, you actually got to hear uh, myself and Gaz for the first part of the show, and then my son Peter and his friend Jake in the uh, the last two parts of the show, recording as we were driving down I-95 through Georgia and Florida. Well, the, the trip to Florida was a great success. We, we got to, uh, our first stop was St. Augustine and we spent the night there. And then we went to the, uh, Ripley's believe it or not museum there in St. Augustine. And then over to this place called alligator farm, which is this crazy place just filled with alligators. And then we took the beach road from 
St. Augustine all the way down to Daytona because uh, we had plenty of time. Got into the hotel there, uh, spent some time with Peter and my family that, that live in that area. Uh, my one nephew has like this crazy, crazy house. It's just, <laughs> my God, it's huge. Um, then we went surfing with his brother. My, my, and that was, my nephew Jeff is the one with the house. My nephew Bill is the one with the surfboards. And these are both sons of my brother Bill. And uh, we all just had a blast in the ocean, had such a great time. And then on the last day that we were in that part of Florida, we drove down to Cocoa Beach. And we went to a store that Peter loves to go to anytime we're in that area, the dinosaur store. And we actually went to, they have like a museum that's related to dinosaurs there on, on the premises. And we did that. And besides um, dinosaurs, they also had this other part of the museum that was related to ancient civilizations. So that was a lot of fun. Then we go to Orlando. And of course, then we spend three days walking, um, Universal Studios and Universal Studios Islands of Adventure. And we were staying at the Hard Rock Hotel, which uh, is a very expensive hotel to stay in, but there are certain benefits that you get from staying in that hotel. For example, uh, you get free uh, Fast Pass, which, you know, gets you into the, the rides a lot, a lot quicker. And then we also get uh, one hour early access into the park, which means uh, that rides like, you know, the, um, the Harry Potter rides, which aren't on fast pass. If you want to ride the Harry Potter rides, you have to go through the line just like anybody else. So, but if you get there an hour early, the, you know, there's no lines there. So we did the two trains, we did the two rides that are associated with, with, uh, the, the Harry Potter part of the park. We did the London, um, uh, Diagon Alley and Nocturne Alley section. That was over in Universal Studios. And then on the uh, Islands of Adventure side, <clears throat> oh, wow, my throat is all clogged up. On the Islands of Adventure side, they have the, the Hogwarts and Hogsmeade side of Harry Potter. And it's all really a lot of fun. Uh, of course, drank lots of butterbeer, including frozen butterbeer. And um, so that was great. And then we, when we were getting ready to uh, come back, I had introduced Peter and Jake to the Tobolowski files on the drive from Cocoa beach to Orlando. And they loved it so much that that was basically all they listened to all the way from Orlando back up to Fredericksburg where they got dropped off. And, and we managed to go, even though we left later than I would typically do on a long trip like this it was probably 10 30, 11 o'clock before we actually got on the road. We did manage to go from Orlando all the way up to Fredericksburg, and then I continued on to Alexandria in a single day. Do not recommend doing that. That was that was a really really long drive. Anyway, so uh, for the rest, I'm I'm trying to keep everything kind of short here because uh, I I I, I want to get to the the Stephen Tobolowski stuff, and I know you guys want to hear the Stephen Tobolowski stuff certainly a lot more than you want to hear me talk. Uh, so real, real quick, let's go through the MyMac.com recent articles. We have File, FileMaker Pro 16 Review by Mark Seeley. Uh, it's barely a year since the Apple subsidiary FileMaker released version 15 of FileMaker Pro. No longer merely a database, nor even a relation, relational database management system, 
FileMaker Pro is sophisticated, robust, and highly flexible multi-platform and cross-device software to create other applications. While FileMaker FileMaker Pro 16 doesn't claim to have many new features, it does take the concept of seamless integration across devices, desktop, mobile, and web, still farther. It remains the best product of its type and is strongly recommended. Go on over to the website and read that review by Mark Seeley. And the first podcast of, of the day, Three Geeky Ladies Summer Fun, Episode 105. The ladies share their summer fun ideas. Uh, then we have Club Nintendo, Level 165. The new TDS XL is reviewed. A new Switch OS update is out. And much, much more. Geekiest show ever, number 263, WW Did You Also See? Uh, well, they had uh, three out of four hosts that week, th- That week, so that's pretty good. First up, they find out about Elisa's travels to Northern Virginia and the traffic she faced. I could tell her all about that. Next, Kevin wants to share more of his thoughts on WWDC. They discuss the iPad Pros at some length in the coming of iOS 11. How the iPad and iOS 11 combined brings us closer to replacing laptops in some use cases. Elisa shares, her, shares how her co-host has all but replaced her Mac with such a combination. Mike shares that he may be coming back to the iPhone. And then they have a discussion about Amazon killing off the unlimited cloud storage option. Next up, Let's Talk Photography, number 45, Thoughts on Software. Inspired by the excellent Shutter Time with Sid and, Mike, Sid and Mac podcast, Bart shares his thoughts on how to go about choosing the best photography software for you. Not the best by some sort of global metric, but best for you. Bart argues strongly that it matters to you that the company behind the software you choose has a viable business model and that their vision for the future aligns with your own. Uh, and speaking of Bart, next up, Essential, sorry, this had nothing to do with Bart, Essential Apple Podcast 47, guess galore. Yes, proving that we are actually a proper grown-up podcast, Simon hosts not one, not two, but three guests as Splagosh and Doogie, Dougie, Join him to wander through the week's text tomfoolery, and his daughter Ruth drops in to voice her opinion on the Snapchat maps furor. Um, yeah, okay. Canix Go Power Battery Pack for the Apple Watch. This is a review by Bert Clanchard. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. Ah, uh, Bert Clanchard. This is Bert Clanchard, and I approve this message. Of course you did. Uh, traveling with a number of iOS devices presents a new first-world problem, keeping everything charged. While not perfect, Canix has a solution. As part of their GoPower series of chargers, they are introducing an Apple Watch battery pack charger. It includes a magnetic induction pad just like the one found on the Apple Watch charging cable. Go on over and read that review from Bert. Uh, next, the NEC EX341-BK. Love those product names. Display. This is a review by Heave Stammen. This is Heave Stammen. Hey, G-Man. Uh, that's all we got for Pete, from Steve. I've always been attracted 
by computer displays with large screens. The more pixels and colors, the better. When I was offered the opportunity to review the you know, the NEC stupid product name, uh, I jumped on it. The NEC stupid product name is a 34 inch display. 34 inch display. Wow, with a resolution of three thousand four hundred and forty by fourteen forty pixels. Compared to most 27-inch displays that have 2660 by 1440, it is almost 25% more pixels on screen. The unique feature of this, of this display is that it's curved to create a more immersive experience for the user. Considering the size of the screen, it sounds logical that curving the screen is a good idea to prevent eye strain. Go on over and read that review by Steve. Uh, another review, the ATH DSR7BT <sighs> wireless over ear headphones. This is a review by Nam Gimo. This is Nam Gimo. What's the message? Ah, it's Audio Technica's new premium Bluetooth wireless over ear headphones are very good. The construction and design are solid and classic. Fit and comfort are fine for most heads. Although iClass users will need a bit more time to determine the optimum wearing position. Sound performance is impressive for all types of music, video, and spoken content. Bluetooth connectivity is instantaneous with a typical range of 20 to 30 feet for wireless listening. Go on over. Read that review by John. And the last article, I swear to God this is the last article. Is a Melody Bluetooth speaker. This is a review by Bert Clanchard. This is Bert Clanchard, and I approve this message. Thank you, Kurt. iHome's multi-talented Melody Bluetooth speaker has many tricks up its sleeve. In addition to producing impressive audio, you can also use the free voice-powered Melody app to summon music from Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other services. You can also receive phone calls with its speakerphone feature complete with audio caller ID. And if you would like to write for the mymac.com website, all you have to do is contact John Nemo and his email address is Nemo, N-E-M-O at mymac.com. Uh, you can reach Gaz, Gaz at mymac.com on the Twitters. He is Gazmaz. Uh, for myself, uh, I am Guy at mymac.com for an email address and Mac Pettit on the Twitters. And we have a we have a telephone number. I swear we have a telephone number. 703-436-9501. And uh, I am not going to waste any more time. I am going to get out of here and get right over to that interview. So everyone, please stand by to stand by. And um, Stephen Tobolowski will be right back. Amazon, Google, Apple, Android, iOS, Alexa, Siri, technology, sci-fi, video games, tablets, computers, flash drives, toys, weather, and general silliness. Geekiest show ever, every week on the MyMac Podcasting Network. Some things get better with time, just not this show. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. 
And welcome back to the MyMac.com podcast. This is the second part of the show. Now, long, long time listeners to the MyMac podcast will, if, if they enter the, the, the patent pending Wayback Machine and go back some almost exactly seven years, they will find MyMac Podcast 302 and 303, where we had a special guest. And I have spent the last seven years trying to get him to come back, and I finally, finally managed to do it. And of course, I am talking about writer, director, actor, author, Stephen Tobolowski, who in the interest of people that also listen to the Tobolowski files, you may know as Professor Martin Stein in Justice League Action, who is one half of the superhero known as Firestorm, Stephen Tobolowski. How are you today, Stephen? I'm fine. I'm here in sunny weather in California. And what kind of a situation are you in, Guy? Uh, well, the sun is back out now, but about <laughs> about uh, what an hour ago. Uh, this, you know, to be to be honest, and I always I always try to be honest with with the people that listen to this show. This is our second attempt at this. We actually had this whole long thing already recorded, and we had just started actually doing the podcast when uh, both Stephen and I started hearing thunder outside here you know in you know my mac studio prime and all of a sudden there's a loud crack and everything is dead and uh if you listen to the after show you'll hear what happened but basically all the stuff that we had recorded before that big loud crack and we think that the house actually took a direct <laughs> lightning strike gone so gone and oddly enough, that kind of leads into what I wanted to talk to you about, Stephen. Yes. And that is uh, tech in the industry. Now, mm. you, you have been in so many different phases of entertainment uh, as a writer, an, a, a, a director, actor, a podcaster. You know, you, you do the Tobolowski Files and uh, near the end of this, we're going to talk about all your current projects. But in all of the years that, that you have been acting, how has technology helped or hurt acting on stage and screen? Well, certainly on stage, I can't think of any way that technology has been involved except in terms of lights and sound, right? Because on stage you usually don't have tons of rewrites unless you're dealing with a brand new play. And when you're like doing a play on Broadway, you are required to say every word that's in the script that the author wrote. And so if you're doing a play from the forties, that's what you do. So you don't have the situation of rewrites when you're doing a movie, when you're doing television shows, you're dealing with rewrites constantly Sometimes even on a daily basis, sometimes those rewrites are great, like in Groundhog Day. In Groundhog Day, Harold Ramis and uh, Danny Rubin, the screenwriter, after we started shooting, they threw away about a third of the script and started rewriting completely act three of the movie and added all of that stuff that we love so much. Uh, it made the movie. 
where it made the movie with the kid falling from the tree and Bill taking piano lessons and saving the bum and, and helping the ladies with the flat tire. It, it made the movie from being a diversion, a pleasant, pleasant diversion to being a classic. And so in that case, you have technology where you are able to get rewrites in a timely fashion, right? You're able to, now this, it was really kind of, we didn't really have cell phones or anything like that back then, but, but the writers and producers were able to manufacture and get rewrites to you immediately. The, the problem with rewrites on the computer through technology and through email is what I call the word processor error because technology is so simple in terms of going into that work file and changing a script, very few writers take the trouble to go back and reread all of their work. They just say like, well, I'm going to move this joke from page four to page 12, and I'm going to take this chunk out because we're running long. So what happens is you get the word processor error where critical facts sometimes are cut or moved at, to a point in the script where it doesn't help anymore. Uh, I, I remember I, I was doing a one script where they changed the name of my character and they didn't do a global. Now that's on them, right? They didn't do a global change. So half of the script I'm Jim and the second half of the script, I was Tim, but I didn't know that. I didn't know that Tim and Jim were the same person cause they didn't change the name. Uh, so I didn't bother to learn Tim's lines until it was too late, but that kind of thing happens a lot. What I call the word processor error. And as an actor, you have to go back and really every time they do little rewrites, read the entire script as if it's the first time through to see if any of those mistakes are there. Uh, one, and, and that's just, we're, we're talking about language which is very easy to do on a computer and very easy to send to uh, actors via email. When we had no computers, well, we had computers, but not really as available. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not really as available as now in, in shows that I did in the 80s and things like that. You did not get rewrites in as timely a fashion but the rewrites were more uh, cohesive. They, they Usually the writers had to do an entire read and write of the script. So we didn't get the rewrites as quickly, uh, but we got them in, in a better fashion, I, I think, in a more with fewer errors. So a lot of times I read a script now and think like, is this for real or is this a computer error? One, one of the biggest change, I, here, here's a good change. Here's a good change in terms of, of technology. The current state of cameras that are being used in uh, television and some films now, most films, are 4K. 4K uh, cameras, and I believe the broadcast quality of anything is like 2K, which means you have 2K to play with in editing the editors can become surrogate camera people. They can take a static shot, like let's say on Silicon Valley, they shoot in 4K. They can take a two shot of me and TJ talking 
And in the editing room, because they have 2K to play with, uh, theoretically, in, in terms of their editing, they can turn a static two-shot into a close-up of me, a close-up of TJ uh, from the angle of the camera, or they could turn it into a tracking shot, a moving shot, uh, a stationary shot into a moving shot, which is very cool. And what that does is it saves a ton of time when you're shooting. When, when we do the Goldbergs, we, we have the 4K cameras and the new chip that they have in the camera. You know, in the old days, uh, Guy, what would you think is the longest you could shoot something when you had film? Um, I would say, I think the, the there's actually, it's a tracking, tracked record, I think, in, in the Guinness Book of World Records, something like five to ten minutes, something like that. I, I think it is, in my experience, what I experienced when they had a huge honking Pana, Panavision roll on a and I forget which movie I was doing. It was 11 minutes. 11 minutes, and you are, and man, you have toasted everything. Now they have a chip that, okay, so when you shoot 11 minutes, it means you can't shoot some huge long, see, you, you have to shoot and stop, call cut, then shoot again and call cut, and then you have to put all the pieces together. Uh, when you, right now we have a chip that they put in the 4K cameras that is 50, five zero minutes. You can do one shot for 50 minutes. Wow. And when we, when we do the Goldbergs, uh, we often do that because you don't have to call cut. And what happens is we'll get into a scene and it'll become like uh, acting in silent films. The director, producer, or writer will start calling out directions to you. Okay, do it again, but add this line. Okay, do it again, but this time uh, be angry. You know, it's very much like the old days with the silent films, with the director, with the megaphone. And they just keep the camera rolling. And as an actor, you have to improvise more. So in a way, the medium becomes the massage because you're shooting for 50 minutes straight. It changes the way they shoot and it cha and that changes the way they edit. That means the poor editor, instead of looking at little one, two, five or 10 minute strips of film has to look at all 50 minutes and make notes of where the good takes are and what's going to happen. So it's much more difficult on the editors uh, on the other end. And, and then they can decide with the producers if they want to turn that shot into a moving shot or, or a close-up or whatever they want to turn it into because of uh, all the memory. So, th so that's kind of the plus and minus of at all the At the same time. At the same – with the cameras. When the, the other element here, here's another element of technology, right? Green screen, green screen, green screen. This is where you shoot and you are not on location and you are not anywhere. You are in a studio that's covered with this very bright green material. Deadwood used green screen a lot. Uh, heroes that TV show use green, use green screen continually. Uh, and you, do, you could put special effects on that green screen. It erases that weird color green uh, from anything that's shot. And they picked that color green because they had determined that that 
shade of green is not in skin color. So they can shoot you, your face, and strip everything out and put in wherever there was green, and it won't affect your face, which is why as an actor, if you're wearing anything that's green and you're shooting in front of a green screen, you will vanish. That, that outfit will become invisible. And the problem, the, of course, the great, great thing about green screen, the positive is you can, you can be shooting in a soundstage and make it look like you're on Mars or make it look like you're in an underground bunker, whatever you want. You just erase the green and put in whatever background you want. Uh, the negatives of the green screen is that the actor a lot of times doesn't know, and, and even the director doesn't know what they're going to put in the green screen. So I've been involved in films in which a monster was coming, some kind of monster that they were going to put in later. And the artist was still conceptualizing what the monster was going to look like. And so as actors, we had to look at different levels of the green screen to pretend where the top <laughs> of the monster was. And we didn't know. And so, you know, you did one version where I'm looking at human height. Then I'm doing another version where I'm looking up two stories. Oh my God, it's huge. And you don't know what you're looking at. And so as whenever you see those movies where, uh, the giant ants are coming out of the New York subway and you see the guys playing the cops and they're like shooting machine guns, but they're not really surprised that they're seeing giant ants coming out of the subway. It's because as actors, they didn't know they were going to be giant ants and the director may not have even known they were giant ants. So you have these guys like it's a normal day in New York shooting 30 foot tall ants coming out of the subway. You know, they're just like, bah, 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 bah. no big deal. Yeah. It's so, Dana, you know, same, same thing that happened the day before, except it was grasshoppers. <laughs> exactly. So that is the positive and the negative of it. You could be anywhere and at the same time, a lot of times the director and actor don't know where the hell you are. So this, this, is, this is a difficulty uh, of green screen. And also people become, a, people become addicted to what is easy, right? So if, if you don't have to conceptualize right away what it is you're looking at or where we'll put it in later, people end up using the green screen more and more and more. And it becomes more and more difficult for the actors to work with it because, you know, you're basically in a very sterile room surrounded by green or in some cases, uh, bright blue, because that color also is not in human skin. That's the blue screen. Uh, one advantage here, here is, uh, Silicon Valley. Uh, here's an example of where they use that. In, I believe it was episode nine this year, uh, I, as Jack Barker, am doing a speech for Hoolicon. And I'm, I'm making a big speech to an audience of several hundred people. We had maybe at most 50 people, 50. And what we would do is we would seat them in different seats and copy, uh, copy that shot and create an entire stadium of the same 50 people. 
And so you, you don't have to have a billion extras. You, you just have the same people and, and they double, triple, quadruple the shot because they're shooting in 4K. Yeah, I think they've done that for a lot of the football movies too. They'll just fill like one section of the stadium and then just move them to a different section over and over and over again with the same shot and then blend them all together in post. Absolutely. So as an actor, creatively, I guess you would say that in the age of technology, you really have to use your imagination much more than like I did in the 80s and even the early 90s where everything was provided for you. The sets were provided for you. You, you could pretend you were there for real. Now you have to put all the pieces together yourself as, as Jack Barker. I have to imagine I'm speaking to a vast stadium of people when I'm basically speaking to an empty room. And I know that eventually they're going to fill the people in. So you have to imagine people virtual people and you have to fill that stadium yourself. Wow. The, um, now with something like, I don't know if you've ever been involved with anything like some of these sci-fi movies like Sharknado and, and monster of the octopus deep or, you know, they, they have real creative ways to take actual real badass animals and make them even you know more badass by combining a shark and an octopus you know something along those lines have you ever been involved in anything like that uh let's see the the crazy animal no i i i wasn't involved with the crazy animal the closer closest i got was i was involved with the vortex once and i was going what what is a vortex and they go well it's big man it's big (laughs) and it's huge and it like sucks all the energy out of everything. And it, it's going to destroy first of all, you, then the earth and then the solar system. And it's going to suck everything into it. So it sucks. The vortex sucks. So anyway, I had to come out of a trailer and this, I did not have green screen. I had nothing. And I just had the director saying, Okay, okay, it's big. It's very big. It's very big. And you ought to say, oh, my God, oh, my God, and because you don't know what to say. So here is the vortex. And so I came out of the back of the truck, and I went, oh, my God. Goes, okay, okay, maybe it's not that big. Maybe it's not that big. Make it a little smaller. Make it a little smaller. I said, oh, okay. Oh, my God. Okay, you know, Stephen, that's a little too dramatic. Maybe if you could make it even smaller. Now, the vortex is deadly. Don't get me wrong. It's deadly and it's huge. But let's make this moment just a private moment, just for yourself. So I came out of the truck and went, oh, my God. And I think that's the one they used. So as an actor, that was as close as I got to Sharknado. I mean, the way I look at it is this. You know, uh, I always... When you, when you go to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, in a, in a way you could tell the age of women by the number of tattoos they have on their arms. Right. It, it's like the older they get, the more rings they the more ring tattoos they have. 
as an actor ages, the more Sharknadoes he has on his resume. <laughs> like near the end of the career come the Hallmark Hall of Fame movies and the or at the very, very beginning of your career, or if you're just Canadian. Uh, those things happen w- with Hallmark, even though I, I've, I have done my Hallmark movie, and, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, but the Sharknado, I, have, I am not to that point yet where I'm doing Sharknado 3. I'm not there yet. Not, well, I think they've actually done what one, two, three, and four. I, I for a while it seemed to be like a, a a big thing. My my wife loves Sharknado. I could watch about ten minutes of it, and then you know my brain just goes into complete and utter lockdown, and I have to walk away. Um, as as I'm looking at some of the stuff that that you've done recently, um, yeah. You've got one here called Monsters at Large. That that sounds ominous. It sounds ominous, and it was it, it first of all spectacular, delightful script. It, it's it's kind of uh, I guess we're back into that junior high school kind of era, a junior high school uh, horror film, not a kid horror film, but like young boys, young girls that are kind of uh uh-uh. uh. And what it's about is. Um, you know how little kids are afraid of monsters under the bed or monsters sure. in the closet? So it, it's about a group of kind of uh, junior high school kids who think that they can have a business concern by going to kids' houses who have nightmares and get rid of the monsters under their bed or in their closet. And, and they do the whole, like, we're going to clear the area because they've watched television and they have little uniforms and they have ways of doing it. And they think it's all good fun until they get to a house where there really is a monster under the bed. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. And so you get, like, love stories in there. You, you, you know, teenage love stories. You, you, you get the little kid who is so sincere that he has the monsters and the parents don't believe him. And, uh, in that I play a kind of teacher who doesn't believe in the monsters. And then I come face to face with the monster and the kids saved me. It was another film that was shot in 4k. And, and here, here is something guy in terms of creativity. Uh, I heard once that one way you could define freedom in the history of mankind is when the greatest weapon of the age is in the hands of the common man. So when uh, in the, I guess, Richard the Lionheart in that kind of age, when the common man had a longbow or, or access to a crossbow like the government soldiers had, you had Robin Hood and you, you had the Magna Carta. And when, uh, we settled the West, when the government came up with machine guns, like the Gatling gun, but when man was able to, when the common man took over the machine gun is when you have the gangsters and prohibition and all that stuff and bathtub gin. And suddenly people are in this wild age of freedom until the government develops a, an even bigger weapon. Now, what is the biggest weapon on earth? Biggest weapon on earth. It ain't the F 
35 or whatever number we're at. It's the computer. It's the biggest weapon on earth. And we're seeing the ramifications of that with all the hack attacks. Oh, by the way, I got hacked. I got hacked. I got hacked by North Korea. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I was working at Sony. I was working on the Goldbergs. And suddenly I get in the mail all of these credit cards that uh, applications that were made in my name. And I'm going like, oh, oh, I, d- I didn't do this. And I, I like threw them away. And then I get a second uh, set of letters from these banks. And the banks become more exotic. They're, they're banks all over America. And then they're banks all over Asia. And then they're banks in South Korea. And I'm going like, and, th- and they're getting credit cards. They're getting uh, uh, American Express cards and they're getting $50,000 put in their accounts. And I'm going, wait a minute, what is this? And I start calling the bank saying like, this is not me. Whatever this is, it's not me. I got to tell you, when that big hack happened at Sony, my name, they must have broken into the Goldberg's files because I think it was right before I started Silicon Valley. When you do your contract, you have your social security number, your address, all that stuff there. There were a lot of Stephen Tobolowsky's out there and they, a lot of them lived in Korea and uh, South Korea. Yeah. And Tobolowsky is a common Korean name, common Korean name. It means he who eats dog. (laughs) and they and they had credit cards uh air, airplane credit cards loans all sorts of stuff i not only i had to file police reports i had to go to the department of commerce of the united states and 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 i went to the bank several times to say you got to shut this down like we have no, we're getting rid of all of our credit cards any credit card is a false credit card And it took about a good five months of hell to to stop this. And it took probably another four months of of, uh, purgatory to to get to the other side of it where we stopped getting the phony credit card applications. And so there's a dark there's a dark side of, uh, technology. No doubt. You got it. You got it. So when to the positive side of technology, when you have the most powerful weapon on earth, the computer in the hands of the common man, you are able to get young filmmakers who don't have millions and millions of dollars. You're able to give them a creative tool that they never had before. They're able to rent these cameras that shoot in 4k they're able to do all the editing on their Mac uh, with with great professional software. And the common man, not just the big studios, the common man is able to do their films. And some of the a lot of the films are crap. A lot of them are no good. But some of them are like that Monsters, what, at, Monsters, at, Monsters at, large? at Large, right. That was a delightful script. If you ever have a chance to see it, it is a terrific movie. Okay, that was a good place to uh, kind of take a, a a breather there for the uh, the Stephen Tobolowsky interview. If you tune in next week, you will hear the rest of it. 
right here. And again, big, big thanks to Stephen Tobolowsky. Uh, there'll be all kinds of links to all of his stuff, uh, not only in the show notes, but uh, I'll talk about them as well uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm there in the third section. But real, real quick, the best place to find out everything that Stephen Tobolowsky is doing is to go to his website, and that website is uh, stephentobolowski.com. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-T-O-B-O-L-O-W-S-K-Y. That is the Russian spelling, the Russian spelling. stephentobolowski.com. All of his various ways to contact him and everything that he's currently doing can be found right there. So make sure that uh, that you tune in for the rest of the interview next week and uh, guaranteed hopefully <laughs> it won't be seven years before we have Steven on again. He is such a delight. Um, I think that is going to do it for this section. So everyone, please stand by to stand by and uh, I'll me, just me. Uh, I'll be right back. Yeah. Ooh, exciting. Hi, I'm Bart Bouchards, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.letstalk.ie. The guys who brought marshmallows to a house fire. It's the G-Men and the MyMac.com podcast. And welcome back to the MyMac.com podcast. This is the third and final, as far as you know, section of the show for this evening. Uh, no gases tip this week. No app picks this week. You know, we're going to give that a, a break, especially since I'm doing a show by myself. And I had the interview with Steven and everything else. It's like, okay, you know, I think this show is just special enough all on its own. Although I do want to take a moment to talk about Mac stock 2017. There's about two weeks to go folks before Mac stock 2017, the conference and expo that's going to be in Woodstock, Illinois, uh, same place that, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky filmed with, uh, Bill Murray in Groundhog's day. Yeah. You can't make this stuff up. Um, going to be, uh, July, 15th and 16th, I think something like that. Anyway, it's that weekend. And, uh, this is the conference that you definitely want to go to. It's going to be a blast. I've gone to the first two. This one is shaping up to be just as good, if not better. There's uh Barry's Mac mingle after party with a live band, food and drinks, the Mac stock swap, where you can bring in the stuff you don't use anymore and swap it out for something that you might have more use for. Uh, the, you'll get a t-shirt, you'll get a pint glass with the, with, you know, if you go to the, the, uh, the Mac mingle after party, um, basically for about $200 for the conference, you can't find better, a, a better entertainment value anywhere. Two days, all kinds of speakers, a party, lunch, t-shirts stuff. It, it's going to be great. Tim and I are going to be there with the, uh, the, the, my Mac quiz and 
all kinds of other people are going to be there giving talks. You know, a lot of them, you know, from, from various podcasts. Uh, so that's $199 for the whole shebang. $169 gets you, uh, both days of the conference, but not the after, after party on Saturday. And if you can only make it for a single day, there is an $89 single day ticket, which is good for either Saturday or Sunday. And of course, uh, lunch will be provided on whichever day it is that you choose. Uh, it's too late for any of the $30 off offers. Unfortunately, uh, if you haven't gotten them by now, you, you, yeah, you kind of missed out on that, but even at full price, it's a great, great show. Um, the my Mac quiz show, we're going to have some prizes to give away. So you want to make sure you're there for that. And of course that includes soft Reno. Who, these are the makers of the amazing Walter two iOS content app, uh, Mac alley, which is maker of many great products for both the Mac and the iOS devices. You can visit them at Mac alley.com. Uh, pixel pixel mater is giving away some licenses for, well, of course, pixel mater. You can find them at pixelmater.com forward slash Mac. Uh, some prizes as well from thought out uh, at ThoughtOut.biz. They make all kinds of really, really cool, uh, iOS, iPad and iPhone accessories. And, um, uh, I think that's, that's going to about wrap it up. As far as all that stuff goes, you want to go to this conference. It's real cheap to get to it. It's in Chicago, easy, you know, or close to Chicago, real easy to find, uh, about just in about an hour away, plenty of hotels that are, you know, not super expensive. And uh, everything is just easy to get to. Mac Stock Conference and Expo. You can find them at the Mac Stock Conference and Expo.com or probably even MacStock.com. Um, not going to go into a whole bunch of feedback this week. Uh, Ivan, I'm sorry. You know, when, when Gaz is back, and it should be next week, uh, we will talk about the email that you sent. I know, I know, I know it has taken a while. Uh, we also have some. Um, uh, Skype, uh, a Skype calls, uh, and our our good friend in North Carolina uh, called. He's the only one who seems to know how to use a telephone anymore. Uh, so make sure that uh, you give him some competition by calling our number, which is seven zero three four three six nine five zero one. That number is a, which is a Skype number seven zero three or one and plus one outside of the United States. Maybe depends on where you live. Uh, area code seven zero three four three six nine five zero one. You can tell I am kind of rushing through this. I really am because it has been a long, long day. Uh, you can find me guy at mymac.com, uh, Mac parrot on Twitter. Gaz is gaz at mymac.com and he is Gazmaz on the Twitters. Uh, we have a combined Twitter account, which is guy and gaz G U Y A N D G A Z. Uh, that is on Twitter. You can contact fearless leader, Tim directly feedback at my Uh, no silly language this week. And I think, uh, with all that in mind, all I can really say at this point is. End. Thanks for downloading and listening to the my Mac podcast. You can also hear other great podcasts on the my Mac podcasting network, like the tech fan podcast, three geeky ladies, geekiest show ever the let's talk podcast essential apple podcast and the club playstation and club nintendo podcasts
Well, uh, let me ask, let, let's start recording. Let's get into the story and then get into the podcast. But I have a question I didn't ask you before. Okay. And maybe that'll get us back into the story. All right. Well, I, I am recording. You are recording. So yes. Guy. Yes. Uh, you, you suffered a direct lightning strike? Yes. Yes, I did. I think I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. Now, before we were, before we went on the air, like recording this, we were having a conversation about our families, our respective families. And you were saying that your son was not a terribly good student, but he got in to being a good student at first of all, because of drama. Is that correct? Yes. And, and when was he interested in drama? Oh, it was, well, he first got interested when he was like in the sixth or seventh grade. It was even before he got into middle school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then now here's, here's where the question was that I didn't ask you before. You said that when he got into high school, he was not interested in drama again. Oh, no, no. He was very, it was the only hook that we had to try to get him back on track as far as, uh, oh, grades even in high school, I, I thought you said you couldn't use that as a weapon anymore. No, that my wife finally stopped trying <laughs> to, to use that cause it didn't work. And all it was doing, it was making him miserable and us miserable. And it was like, you know, the, the definition of insanity is doing something over and over again that you know is not going to work. Especially if it's killing other people. Yes. Now, now here is the question I had, and this is something I have been thinking about before we began speaking. I've talked to several people who felt that in junior high school, their children suddenly got the acting bug. And for me, as an actor, I got the acting bug when I was about five, right? But way before junior high, it's the only thing I ever wanted to do as a person. What do you think it was about drama in junior high school? Do you think that there's something elemental about young people in junior high school that become attracted to drama? I think that children in general are more interested, you know, what I think that the process is basically as a child, you know, you, you want to emulate a lot of the things that you see and how do you do that? But by acting, by pretending that you are this, you're going to play Cowboys and Indians, or you're going to pretend like you're Captain Kirk from Star Trek or, you know, whatever the, the TV show du jour is that, that you enjoy. Mm -hmm. And for some children, that, method of interacting with the world and seeing that, okay, when I do these things, not only are other people enjoying it, but I'm enjoying doing it. Some kids can cross that threshold from it being, I'm just pretending to, I want to be an actor and some can't. And, uh, Peter could, and Peter has, from the the very beginning when he first expressed an interest in in acting and performing on the stage uh just every single part he got no matter how big no matter how small he threw himself completely into it for his auditions <laughs> yep he sang in the shower he sang the theme to <laughs> Gilligan's Island in the shower wow. that was going to be his audition song 
Man, that is so sad. But what he didn't realize was that the bathroom is not a soundproof booth. So we could hear him singing the theme to Gilligan's Island over and over again while he was showering or, or whatever. And he was so mortified when he found out that we could all still hear him. And you could have recorded that and used it for decades against him. I know, him. exactly. Uh, now, see, here, here's, here's a theory I, I had, and I'm floating it. I don't know if this is true, but as somebody who wanted to be an actor early on, uh, first of all, I totally agree with your idea that people want to emulate. Uh, I am wondering, because the way I came to acting when I was five was certainly different than when I was in junior high school. I felt in junior high school there was a quantum shift in my desire to be a creative person. And I think it was related to girls for me. Uh, in that intimacy, and I don't mean intimacy by 19, 2017 standards of sex, I mean intimacy of being close and open with a girl was terrifying, but it was something that I wanted more than anything else, and I felt I could do that in the guise of another person. Like if I was doing Diary of Anne Frank, I could play Pater and kiss Anne. Uh, and Frank, I, you, you know, I could have that moment and it wasn't really me, but I was able to be close and intimate with a girl, uh, through the guise of another character. Yes. Yes. You think that's possible? Oh yeah. You know, I, people, people that have vivid imaginations mm -hmm. can easily lose themselves uh, you know, I, I do it all the time. I'm driving you know, back home from work and traffic sucks. So I'll start thinking about, well, let me think about what happened today. And then that'll go off into, wow, you know, that trip I just took to Florida, if I had only been able to stand up on the surfboard and then little by little, while my conscious mind is still dealing with the realities of, you know, not trying to occupy the same space as the car in front of me, mm -hmm. uh, my inner mind is going back to, well, you know, if I had done this and if I had done that and thinking of the scenarios in which I might have stood up on the surfboard or I, you know, might have kissed uh, that girl Colleen when I was 12 years old, you know, or, you know, whatever direction that, that the mind takes when uh, you're not consciously thinking of, you know, whatever. When, when, uh, my, my children kind of went a different route. First of all, both of my kids, uh, both young Lord William, who is now interested in being a doctor, and my older son, Robert, who is 27 now. He's 27, and he's about to get his doctorate in organic chemistry. Both of them were so interested in drama. When they were young, my wife, Anne, and I felt certain that they were going to go on the same path. But then my older son, Robert, said later when he – they both became a scientist. You know, he said, dad, we've watched you our whole life and we didn't want to become you. Uh, we, we know how hard and miserable your life has been and we wanted no part of that. Oh. So we, we, we wanted to, Thanks, like, son. yeah, thank you. We wanted to go to graduate <laughs> school. And I said, but I'm one of the guys who's doing okay in acting. Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm, do, uh, when my eldest son, Robert, 
uh, I guess he was 11, something like 11. This is part of my theory about acting and and being intimate with women. Uh, we our family took a vacation to France, and we, we ended up in Paris. And Robert, for his birthday, it was his birthday. He said that what he wanted for his birthday was to see naked women. Now, being the father I am. <laughs> You know, I'm thinking like, well, <laughs> let's see, well, how can we make this happen, buddy? Uh, you know, my wife was like, no way, yeah, you know, not ever. <laughs> but then I'm thinking, you know, in Paris, they do have the Moulin Rouge, which is kind of like a Las Vegas kind of showgirl kind of thing sure. where, you know, the girls come out in the big headdresses and they're topless and they have the feathers and the tails and all that kind of stuff. So after a lot of back and forth with my wife and my son very petulantly saying he told all of his friends in Los Angeles he was going to see naked women in Paris. He has to see naked women or he'll be a liar. So as the good father I was, I said, okay, I'll take you to see naked women at the Moulin Rouge. So uh, <laughs> with a great deal of sarcastic eye rolls from my wife. So Robert and I, he's what, 11, 12? He's about to be 12. We, we go to the Moulin Rouge. And there, of course, in Paris, they serve children liquor, too. Sure. Because they're so, there's, it's such an advanced culture. So we, <laughs> we get this bottle of champagne. And Robert, being the father I am, besides taking him to a high-class high strip club, I'm also loading his glass with champagne, and he's getting schnunkered on, like, one glass. <laughs> and and, that, and, that's, and that's, that's a technical term, isn't it? It Sh- is a technical schnunkered. term for... for uh, An 11-year-old in, drinking champagne. In, in Texas, I would be guilty of a felony. So, <laughs> and, and it just so happened, at that point, at that point, is when the photographer for the Moulin Rouge came over and took a picture of Robert and me with Robert drunk which I will have to my shame uh, forever. So anyway, the lights dimmed and my heart's beating like, oh my God, oh my God, am I about to warp his psyche forever? And the showgirls come out and like six on one side, six on the other, and they're all topless and they have the huge headdresses and all the feathers coming out of their behinds and they're dancing and they're shimmering and they're coming in front of the stage and Robert's watching kind of in a, drunken stupor up his mouth, partly open, (laughs) staring after about 60 seconds, he turned to me and said, dad, is this all there is? (laughs) And I said, said, yes, yes, this is all there is. This is all there is for the rest of your life. This is it. This is (laughs) the Mount Everest. We've been seeking to climb for the rest of our lives. And he went like, oh, God. Or the, but, but to, the, tw- so the to, Twin Peaks then. The Twin Peaks. For, to his eternal credit, I have to say that what he loved most about the Moulin Rouge is that they have a throwback number in there. You know, they have dog acts. They have all sorts of things. But they have a throwback number to a number that they did right at the beginning of the Moulin Rouge where the women are dressed in the, you know, 1890s costumes. Right. You know, with, with the bustles and the, pan, uh, the big 
uh, bloomers and pantaloons and yeah, b- bloomers and pantaloons and the billions <laughs> of, of petticoats and, and all that stuff. And they have waiters dress, you know, male waiter dancers that are in the line with them and they do the big can can dance bomb. You know that one? Yeah. Everybody started screaming and clapping and Robert stood up and started stomping and clapping and he had such a smile on his face and he was so happy. And to his eternal credit, he looked down at me and said, dad, now we're talking. (laughs) That's that's what he wanted to show. Not necessarily, not necessarily the nudity. He wanted the show. He wanted, he wanted joy. He wanted to see that joy and that exuberance on the stage. And a lot of times, you know, I know this is a technology show, but a lot of us who are involved with technology often are involved with our computers. And and uh, like I know, I open email, and a lot of times I'm naked when I do that. But it isn't the nakedness that draws us. It's the joy. And we, we forget that the two are not synonymous. <laughs> Especially when there's need. lightning. <laughs> Especially when there's lightning. <laughs> All right. 